Friday, December 22nd, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 302 and 303. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree. It'll take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. What's up, everybody, and welcome to our big pre-Christmas edition of the show today. I'm Ron. Noah's here. Ho, ho, ho. We've got an action-packed slate of guests coming in here. We'll be sitting down with Indiana Congresswoman Victoria Sparts. We'll also have the president of the New York Young Republicans Club, Gavin Wax, here. GOP strategist and House leadership with Chairwoman Elise Stefanik. Alex DeGrasse will be joining us. Colonel Rob Manis will be making a safe landing into the Steak for Breakfast podcast. And we'll be sitting down with West Virginia One candidate, Derek Evans, for the first time. Lots of breaking news. Trump ballot drama in Colorado. We'll be taking a big, long look at that today. A tough year for the Republican House comes to a close up on Capitol Hill. We'll check in on the Biden administration as well. And Donald Trump was back on the campaign trail in Iowa. But before we get to any of our headlines, let's take it over to Indiana and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM, this is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. All right, everybody, welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Ron. Noah will be joining us in just a bit. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. And we're starting off in the great state of Indiana today with the representative who's representing Indiana 5, Miss Victoria Sparks. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. And actually, nice to call you from Indiana right now. Yeah, get out of that uh, swamp up there on Capitol Hill and uh, back out into the fresh air and into your district. So ending the week last week, we obviously saw the NDAA pass. We know that you probably had some issues, especially with the 702 and Pfizer-related parts of it. But for the most part, the military gets paid. But, uh, you know, we'd like to hear it from the source. So based off of what you saw and, and how the Republican vote went, what do you think heading into the holidays and uh, maybe taking another look at that FISA stuff at some time in 2024? Well, it's unfortunately that we punted such a significant material issue. And ultimately, you know, the extension till May extended pretty much till the end of the year. And we've seen what's happening in the country. We have you know, our government agency, our government, uh, you know, own government becoming a police state. And this is very dangerous when we have a tyranny and we have, you know, uh, surveillance and warrantless surveillance of Americans. You know, our job as a Congress, actually, the main reason we even were created as a government is to protect people's rights. And now they blatantly violate constitutional rights of Americans. And we had plenty of time plenty of time to work on this reauthorization. It just didn't happen overnight. We had years to do that, but we even had this full year. And then when it came to the end of the year, 
we couldn't come to an agreement because unfortunately a lot of people are hypocrites including in my side then they talk about protecting rights but they're protecting the government and protecting some of the things you know that you know that shouldn't be happening and we'll see i was very disappointed that we did that and i did not support that it was a big reason you know i did not support nda and as a lot of other uh, members and uh, now we'll have more time but i think we need to become more serious and i think it's kind of interesting that it's became bipartisan issue and we have uh, establishment of both party catering to doj and fbi and cias and nsa's and then we have people on the right and on the left who are not afraid, you know, and we might have a different views on a lot of other issues, very radically different, but not afraid to challenge and concern about some things because ultimately more outspoken people get oppressed much more often by government, you know, actually got together and have a better solution, which is still not even resolving all of the issue, but at least a better proposal. And the other proposal gives loopholes to extend surveillance. So this is a very serious thing, and I hopefully will do better before May. Now, let me ask you a question. You know, there's been a kind of a mixed grades given out to Speaker Johnson since he took the gavel. He had very little time, a little bit less than six weeks to whip in regards to the NDAA. But there's some other stuff that's been getting done and moving in the Republican House. We know that the Alejandro Mayorkas impeachment is back in committee and looking to be voted on at some point in about mid-January when you guys get back into session. We've also seen the House take a vote on the Joe Biden impeachment inquiry. It was a unified vote. I think that lends credit to the Speaker as well. How do you think, you know, with the way the environment was that Speaker Johnson took the gavel, has he done so far? And what are you looking leadership-wise heading into the new year? Listen, I think, you know, uh, he inherited a lot of issues. That is very difficult to move in a short period of time. But I think uh, now the ultimate showdown is going to be in January. And that will show if he can hold the ground on these issues. And he needs to start making some moves now. It's very disappointing that we pass appropriation and the Senate is not even, you know, trying to do that. I think Speaker needs to start calling conference committee. He needs to say, you know what? You get to the table or you're going to be explaining, you know, why government is going to shut down. You know, it's not because we're not passing legislation. You know, the process should work. We pass legislation. They pass legislation. We're going conference committee. They set it up for omnibuses. They set it up and they think they're going to roll us. But we need to be proactive. And I think that's something that, you know, he needs to be pushed and he needs to be told to do better. Because ultimately, you know, if we do not deliver and this last month, you know, you'll know the rest of the year mainly will be campaigning and fundraising and elections. And we have some serious, serious issues that country is facing. So I will see, you know, I kind of feel like the honeymoon is definitely over. I will see where Mike is going to land on these issues. Uh, he told uh, that he's, he told me personally that he will hold the ground on the border. I'm glad to see that he's, you know, doing that. But we also have some other issues that are going to be complicated and we cannot let Senate win. And if uh, Senate wins, I think uh, it will be a big uh, problem for his speakership. 
No, I agree with you as well. We, we definitely have encouraged our listenership to allow him to get through the CR, to get the things that he talked about on day one done. And if he can't, then, you know, we're, we're going to have to see what happens. We're in such a, a climate right now where you could have the gavel one day and then a couple weeks later you could be retiring from Congress. So that's just the way it is this session. And uh, moving forward, part of the growing pains that are happening in the Republican House, I think it's a good thing to finally see, uh, you know, People doing the hard jobs and saying the right things, but uh, some at some point the talking needs to get done and we need to see action. Congresswoman, we know you sit on, on obviously the Judiciary Committee and that, you know, we've seen movement on the Joe Biden impeachment inquiry. It went to, a as I stated before, a full uh, House floor vote. It passed in, in a unified vote from the Republican caucus. And, you know, heading into the new year, obviously, I'm sure you were less than amused with Hunter Biden and Eric Swalwell's antics out on the Senate side of the uh, building, you know, right before you guys went into break. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes right now that the American public is just absolutely really excited to see in regards to this. It's sad to say, but it seems like the receipts just don't lie. And, and we all know that you guys are probably privy to a lot of intelligence and material that you're reviewing right now that the American public hasn't seen. But just what's been released so far, whether it be through Jordan or Comer and, uh, you know, Moving forward, how do you think this is going to go? I mean, this can become a bipartisan issue the more you guys really go through everything with a fine-tooth comb and present to the American people. Like, this is an opinionative impeachment inquiry. This is like actual receipts that, you know, may, may in turn lead to things that are high crimes, misdemeanors, or in some cases, maybe even worse. Well, listen, uh, how uh, partisan Washington, D.C. became and how compliant Democrat Party became to their leadership, I'm not sure if anything can become uh, bipartisan issues on such a serious allegations and such a serious evidence that we're looking at. But it's unfortunate. But you could see that, you know, they had one uh, one of Democrat colleagues now running against uh, Joe Biden, um, Dean Phillips, and they're trying to destroy him, Democrat Party, just because he decided to you know, to run and, you know, give some options to some Democrats, which are not very good for their side, let me tell you. But I think that something, you know, very, you know, it, I think it's real unfortunate that we as Republicans didn't move fast on this issue. So that's the only concern I have, because we need to move, you know, with this issue faster to be able to resolve whatever this resolution is going to be and not to wait till, you know, July, August times when things will not be taken as seriously because it's only going to be political campaigning and they will just be blaming ours that we do in politics. You know, I think the way how the process was set up, I think McCarthy set up it incorrectly because he wanted to give different favors to people to different committees and subcommittees and task forces to get him in power. So the process wasn't as efficient as it should be. You know, and I think now we have plenty of evidence, but we need to finish the deal. And now this, you know, impeachment inquiry vote will allow us to have some subpoenas and really try to get some key witnesses into committee and be able to really uh, get a stronger evidence. Because I think uh, the Senate will not, you know, unfortunately uh, take it seriously unless we'll do a better job connecting some of the dots. Uh, but the situation is actually very concerning about potentially president being involved in bribery, being compromised. This is a serious national security issue. 
Yeah, it certainly is. It's going to be wild to see how this thing plays out. But, you know, there's so much to this backstory as well. There's so many people in the Obama administration who have come out recently and said, you know, the House Republicans might be onto something here. This was kind of known during the Obama administration, but this was all happening or starting or really taking off at a time right around when Bo Biden died. So everybody was kind of like, eh, just let him be. It's probably not a big deal. But now that we're starting to see the receipts that go all the way back to then, it's, it's really eyebrow raising to see how crazy this whole situation has been and where it's going to go into the new year. Congresswoman, I want to segue a little bit. We'll we'll still keep it on the national issues, though. Last time we talked to you, it was the worst time ever for what was going on on the U.S. southern border. If you want to start back at the beginning of Joe Biden's uh, term in office, you know, we had that migrant caravan back in in his first couple months where there was like, you know, close to a thousand Haitian migrants that were underneath the bridge in Texas and everybody made a huge deal out of it, 24-hour coverage. By the end of this week, we'll have well over 50,000 people cross the U.S. southern border illegally just this week. It seems like the American public is almost becoming frustratingly numb to this situation. I mean, what Alejandro Mayorkas has done with our system, which he always falls back on like his safeguard, like the system was broken and I inherited it, so all I'm trying to do is hold it together by the threads. We all know that he's full of crap. We all know this is the worst job that, you know, a head of the Department of Homeland Security could have ever imagined and worse. I know Speaker Johnson went on Fox and Friends a couple weeks ago with Chairwoman Stefanik, and they really pressed him on the border, and he said, listen, we passed the most comprehensive border security bill in the history of the Republican Party. You alluded to that at the top of this segment. Speaker Johnson also said that if Joe Biden's not willing to enforce the laws and to shut the border down and make America safe down there again, then the Republican House is going to be you know, out of business come the end of the CR. This is a very serious issue, not just with the threat of a government shutdown, but just for the safety and security sovereignty of our nation right now. How are you looking at this whole situation developing, and what can House Republicans do in the new year to hold Alejandro Mayorkas at least to account? Well, listen, I think this is a big issue, but just going back, just so you mentioned something, I mean, talking about Amos Hochstein, you know, who actually now is a czar, like energy czar for Biden, that's his energy policy, and he at that time worked for Biden administration when Hunter was mingling in Ukraine. He raised a lot of concerns and actually was tangling some interesting scandals in Ukraine back too, so it's interesting, and now he has a job with Biden, I think he needs to be asked some questions too, mm. but I think he was raising concerns, so I don't disagree with you that Democrats had a lot of concerns and i just want to see them ever be able to stand up for the right thing republicans much more independent to challenge own party when they believe something doesn't look right they've been cheap but i hope i hope they will start changing um, their minds and start really becoming more honest on some issues but looking at the border i mean listen this is not such a serious national security crisis that shouldn't be an issue we should be you know fighting the deliberating and not taking it seriously this is something we need to come together and do something about it i do not understand how this administration is able to neglect this duty and get away with that i mean we've been on this border many times as judiciary committee members i mean we've seen what's happening now we have major wars in the world terrorists on the rise around the world have enormous amount of millions getaways we don't even know who these people are right. and i think you know and we are trying to still deliberate do we need to secure the border I mean, this is something that we need to do urgently. So I think this is one issue that Republicans, I think, will hold the ground. Hold the ground. I'm glad that Senate is getting a little bit better after pressure from the House. 
I think that's that willing, some of our Republican senators are willing to stand with us on this issue. And if we hold together, you know, we should be able to push an administration. But I'm just unfortunate that, you know, they neglect in their job. Yeah, it's, it's wild to see how that's kind of spun out of control. And it's like they've, they've never had a bearing on it. You know, you have people going on the news today, people that are connected to the Border Patrol Union, and they're saying coming from the top. So the chief of the Border Patrol has had his office all week calling people who already had previously approved holiday time off with their family and saying that your holiday time is no longer approved. You're going to need to come down to work and process illegal migrants. You're going to have to come down and change diapers and pass out sandwiches and stand in the rain and watch them while we're trying to get them off of the border and into the United States. It's just absolutely mind-blowing to see. I can only imagine what the retention rate in the Border Patrol is and in Customs and in ICE right now because the way that they've been treated, I mean, you've got air marshals going down there and changing diapers and passing out Capri Suns instead of, you know, flying on planes, making sure that everything's safe. You've got special agents within the FBI and stuff getting directed to the U.S. southern border to just babysit migrants. And with all the other stuff that's going on, the fact that, you know, 702 and the FISA protections were renewed, it's like the perfect storm for everything to go wrong at once. And then the last thing I want to touch with you on is I want to know if you uh, have some commentary on, on the ruling that went down in the Colorado State Supreme Court this week where they essentially, for the time being, have removed Donald Trump, uh, the former president, from the Republican primary ballot. They're looking to do the same thing in the general election. Obviously, this is heading to the Supreme Court at 10 million miles an hour. But just to say how they got to their decision, which was they ruled on an opinion that Donald Trump was an insurrectionist or committing sedition when he was never convicted of either one of those crimes. So it's kind of like, you know, just extremely biased. But at the same time, it sets a precedent for setting up a, a lot of issues heading into the 2024 election season. It's really unbelievable for me to see, you know, like, you know, how the other side with allies be able to do propaganda like republicans somehow not protecting democracy and so radical and everything else where if we look at that from day one when president trump became president they would try to take him down they had look at durham report they were trying to take him down you know our fbi when he was a candidate and everyone no one got any accountability for that no one got punished for that you know, they're constantly using this. This is the biggest abuse of the judicial system and infringing on constitutional Republican democratic value I've ever seen in my life. Whether no matter how people feel about President Trump, doesn't matter. We are trying to erode, destroy institution and use them as a police state to take candidates down. This is not just he said, she said. This is, we actually using the system. This is like only could happen in countries like Venezuela. This is like, we talk about communist country. This is embarrassing that what's happening in our country. And I'm sure, you know, the Supreme Court has some brains with a lot of people there to actually, and I actually hope it's going to be, you know, unanimous decision because I hope that there is, if a Supreme Court is that corrupt, we're really in trouble as a country. But doing what they're doing is unbelievable. They cannot win him on the ground because they move in the country in such a terrible policies, radical. They're really, you know, just trying to destroy the values of this republic. They cannot win it on the ground with elections so they try to use the system to get rid of candidates again they do it again and again and again and then they dare to go and say oh we are here for democratic values are you serious if that is a definition of democratic values 
we are really in trouble as a country. But I think American people are seeing through that, and I think they're feeling enough is enough. And at some point, more and more people start paying attention because, unfortunately, people don't pay attention until politics hit them in the head. And sadly say, we now have a lot of issues that hit a lot of people, including, you, you can see now, look, look at border security. Now we have Democrats, you know, raising concerns and with alarming situation like mayors of New York and others. So I think this is becoming the neglect of their duty, becoming very, very serious. But I think Republicans have to get better on offense. We have to be better organized, like in the military, you know, it's a different to do defense and offense. And Republicans are not as good as the other side, even though... You know, I I disagree very vigorously on a lot of issues. They've been brilliant on a lot of things they do, and we need to do better to win. No, it's the truth. And, uh, you know, when the, you, I think you framed it up there perfectly. You can't walk out of your house right now getting hit. It's either illegal migrants or crime, stuff with the education system, inflation, the economy, gas prices, you name it. Now we have election interference. It's going to be a wild 2024. We're actually glad we were able to catch up with you at the end of 2023, Congresswoman. We're obviously going to be live linking your congressional website in the show description today. But for anyone that wants to follow you on social media, where can they check you out? Uh, it's at Rep Sports and, um, you know, can send up to my newsletters. And I think uh, I really appreciate that you're trying to communicate more information to the American public, because I will tell you, these issues will not be resolved in Washington, D.C. It's so corrupt. But when American people see what's happening, I think American people will never accept what's happening in our country. So I hope everyone has a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And I have no doubt with the Republic, when my Republic went through tougher times, we're going to win and we're going to regroup. But uh, there are some big battles and they're going to happen. And please keep my Republican colleagues strong. Oh, we certainly will. And, and that's just a little bit of a confirmation, soft confirmation that we will have Republican Fight Club reconvening in 2024. It was great sitting down with you today. This is the Congresswoman who's representing Indiana 5, Representative Sparks. Thanks for joining us on the show. Have a very Merry Christmas. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Yeah, it, this is election rigging, Kaylee. Uh, it was a narrow four to three decision. It will almost certainly, in my judgment, be overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court because the insurrection clause in the 14th Amendment, as you point out, don't apply to the facts here. It was intended to prevent Confederates who literally took up arms against the government during the Civil War from holding office. So you fast forward now 150 years, roughly, and Donald Trump is not even accused of insurrection under the federal statute. And if evidence supported that, surely Jack Smith, the special counsel, would have charged him with it. So to remove Trump from the ballot for an offense that he hasn't even been tried or convicted of, what is that? Well, that's violating his right to due process, which just happens to be guaranteed by the very amendment, the 14th, and elsewhere in the Constitution. But, you know, there's another factor here, Kaylee. You know this as a lawyer, under past Supreme Court rulings, the language used in the insurrection clause doesn't apply to the office of president or anybody running for it. Colorado officials here have, I think, brazenly manipulated the clause for purely political reasons. Another example of election interference by Trump opponents. This is an effort, make no mistake, to deprive American voters of their right to make the decision as to who should be president. It is 
anti-democratic. It's the equivalent of rigging the ballot box. And it will surely be seen that way, only inflaming voters and I think boosting support for the former president. All right, jumping into the news portion of our show today on this big Christmas edition of the State for Breakfast podcast. I'm Ron Noah, still here. Yep. It was great catching up with the Indiana Congresswoman. She always seems to bring the fire. fire. Yeah. So, and she did confirm Congressional Fight Club is back in session I in like 2024. It, I like it. You know what the first rule of Congressional Fight Club is? You ask them if it's still happening. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was Greg Jarrett on Fox News the other day. Obviously, we're on the back end of the week here with our Friday edition of the show, but we are going to touch on this. Donald Trump being kicked off the ballot drama in Colorado after a ruling. Didn't I ask you the last show if that was going to happen anywhere, and you said no? Mm. Mm. (laughs) We're not always right here, but we're always right. There you go. So Donald Trump is, for the meantime, kicked off the ballot in Colorado for the Republican primary. Well, more so, it's it's going to float until the deadline for them to actually have him on the ballot. So whether or not it gets overturned or not, he's still just not going to be on the ballot, right? Isn't that kind of what the gist of it is? Right now, but this is going to the Supreme Court, and they will provide a ruling on it. That should set the precedent for the rest of the country. I know, but they're going to set the ruling too late for him to actually be put on the ballot, though, because don't they need like three months or whatever ahead? I think they're going to be able to weigh in on this beforehand. And, you know, when you look at the way this whole thing shook down, so you have a dark money funded George Soros lobby group who went and brought an idea to an appellate court judge who made a ruling on it, which was then presented to the Colorado Supreme Court, at which point they ruled four to three that Donald Trump was an insurrectionist trying to be seditionish and was removed from the ballot. However, you sure it was an episode of Impractical Jokers. That's exactly. Yeah. Now say he committed sedition. (laughs) (laughs) And the thing is, is that, you know, I see this seven to two with the Supreme Court at the very least. We'll see if it can get to nine zero. Katanji Brown, Jackson and uh, Sotomayor. I'm not as optimistic for those two. They might stick to the progressive side. But, you know, for the for the traditional liberal judges on the bench and then obviously the Republican ones, I think we're going to see them across the board. And I hope they issue scathing briefs on this and and reiterate the fact that Donald Trump was never convicted of insurrection, convicted of seditious conspiracy. And therefore, you can't just float the idea. You can't have a Supreme Court at the state level rule on an opinion. It's like saying, like, I don't like Donald Trump, so he shouldn't be on the ballot. That's what the whole there there of this whole thing is. Well, yeah, that's the whole premise of everything that's happening right now. We don't like him. He's dangerous for our military industrial complex money laundering bullshit. So we can't let him win. And at this point, we've already established that the government's going to do whatever they want in any situation whatsoever. And you can do nothing about it. That's basically how they're going through their life now no it's the truth and and you know if this was the case that he was an insurrectionist that he was committing sedition to overturn the government i feel like he would have at least had to say like go get him well you you think that jack smith would have charged him with exactly that in the january 6 case as well i heard jack smith's having a bad week too (laughs) so there's been some lawsuits filed aren't they saying that everything he's done is going to be completely invalid potentially and do you want to know why I don't think that as the Attorney General of the United States, Merrick Garland has the authority to take a private citizen and give him the 
They said it was like awesome law enforcement powers. Yeah, it's like judicial power. It's like picking somebody off the street and saying like, hey, guess what? You're a special counsel now. Here's a badge. You could have a gun if you want, and you could try whoever you want. I think that worked in The Walking Dead, but not. it shouldn't work here. It's pretty funny. MSNBC ran with Donald Trump getting kicked off the ballot. Of course, their headline was over-insurrection, and they brought the biggest piece of shit in the Democrat Party on. Which one? Attorney Mark Elias. Ooh. To elaborate on this fantasy, let's hear it. Yeah, and I think that's the right worry, Chris, but it starts not with with what the people on the right are going to say, but it's what the people <laughs> on the left are going to say. You know, the fact is the audience clause was never that complicated. It was pretty straightforward. And too many people of goodwill, frankly, were willing to buy into a bit of a both sidesism and make it more complicated. And I think the same thing is happening here, frankly. The facts are very, very clear, and they have been found by, as Noah said, a trial court here and, and elsewhere, that Donald Trump that. incited a violent insurrection to oh. overturn free and fair elections oh. by preventing oh. the certification oh. of the Electoral College oh. on January 6, 20, uh, uh, 2021. That violates, on its plain terms, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment in terms of making him ineligible to hold office. It's not complicated. It's not tricky. Right. It's not, you know, it's not somehow nuanced or 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 new ground. It's Vagina. what the amendment says. And so we all have to start with being very, very comfortable with the fact that sometimes the Constitution yields small results when it's applied, and sometimes it yields yeah. profound results when it's applied. Results? And in this yeah. instance, I agree, it yields a profound result, oh. but that doesn't mean that we shrink away from the plain text. Wait, what? Huh? Well, that's what he does. That's Mark Elias. He shrinks away from the plain text? That, that's the best lawyer that the Democrats have, and unfortunately he does have unlimited resources and a pretty above-average win-loss record. But here's the thing. They're trying to normalize their interpretation of the 14th Amendment, the third and fifth clauses, as reality when Congress is the only governing body in the United States under our republic who has that kind of guidance or governance over a president of the United States and whether or not ruling he committed insurrection or seditious <laughs> conspiracy. I, I, I mean... He hasn't been charged with it. That's That should be just the end-all, be-all of this. Not only was he wasn't charged with it, that also means he's not convicted of it either. Well, duh. Well, tell that to them. I actually had a friend who sent me the uh, the, the article on Instagram. It was like the Trump removed from the ballot in uh, Colorado. Okay. And I wasn't really sure what the context was, so I just replied with, yeah, absolutely wild election interference at the highest level. And then the, re the response was, oh, I, I think I, I might have sent that in like a different context than, than what you're saying. I'm not really a fan of Trump. I'm not really a fan of Biden either. And I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't matter what team you're on or what political party you're affiliated with. This sets a extremely dangerous precedent where if we are not allowed to vote for the people that we would like to vote for, we do not have a free country. Do you want to hear about some of the people that are? They agreed and then quickly changed the subject. Didn't block you? No, they're, they're a friend. So this Colorado Supreme Court judge, Melissa Hart, she's one of the four to rule in favor of Donald Trump being an insurrectionist and bar barring him from the state ballot in Colorado. This judge gave over $20,000 to Dems in 2008 alone and has donated a lot to Dems since. Tens of thousands of dollars, including former Trump opponent Hillary Clinton. Married to Kevin Traskos, who runs the civil division for the U.S. Attorney's Office in Denver, 
and is the granddaughter of Archibald Cox. Do you know who that is, Noah? Uh, Sounds familiar, right? Does he have a monocle? No, but he points a very sternly finger. Archibald Cox was an American legal scholar who served as the U.S. Solicitor General under JFK and had a special prosecutor during the Watergate scandal. During his career, he was an expert and an authority on constitutional law, according to them. These are the guys that railroaded Nixon. We all see them trying to do the same exact thing to Donald Trump right now. You know, there's been a lot of pressure from the left as well for Joe Biden to weigh in on this. And there's a lot of people, even in the left media, who are saying, you know, you're setting a really bad, a, a better than worse precedent here uh, on what's going on. We know Joe Biden has dropped the hateful rhetoric on America first. We know that he's come out hard. There was that thing from November of last year where he says we must do whatever it takes to keep this guy from running for president. It wasn't from being president. It wasn't from beating him. It was running for president. But there's been a lot of calls, even from the left, for Joe Biden to come in here and say, you want to know what? There's no there there. We, we, we need to get back to basics, and let's just run our races. Mm-hmm. He was asked on the tarmac the other day to respond to the decision. Guess what he said? From an insurrectionist, sir? Well, I think it's certainly self-evident. You saw it all. Now, whether the 14th Amendment applies, I'll let the court make that decision. But he certainly supported an insurrection. And no question about it. None. Zero. And uh, he seems to be doubling down on about everything. Anyway. So Joe Biden said Donald Trump supported an insurrection. Anyway. Anyway is like his go-to. Yeah, so if you look up, like, hypothetically speaking, if you were going to Google, what are the requirements to be a judge? Okay. Requirements to be a judge are a bachelor's degree. A Juris Doctorate, J.D. Law Degree from an accredited law school, passing the bar exam and practicing as a lawyer for several years, applying for and obtaining a judgeship, which is highly competitive and limited. And then here's the kicker. Having personal and professional qualities such as neutrality, fair-mindedness, integrity, judicial temperament, well, and then good physical health. We do not see rulings within the law anymore. We see rulings within opinion. And biased. That's all we see. I mean, Derek Chauvin went into court, and what was the first thing the judge said on like day one of the trial? If you think you're getting a fair trial here, you're sorely mistaken. He said that. Yeah. But he said that. Yes. <laughs> wow. Donald Trump was quick to if issue. You think you're getting shivved in prison? You're probably right. Twenty three times. Still kicking. Yeah. That's a. Uh... I mean, what did he get shivved with? Like a sharpened toothbrush or something? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't want to be him though. No. I mean, even a toothbrush would be kind of a bummer. Donald Trump took to True Social and issued a reply to Joe Biden calling him an insurrectionist supporter. Ready? (laughs) Crooked Joe Biden is the insurrectionist because he let millions of unknown people come recklessly and unchecked through our insane, quoting, open border and let a war begin in the Middle East and Ukraine. Weaponized our DOJ and FBI, all caps, surrendered in Afghanistan when Mm -hmm. we could have left with dignity and strength. Yep. Colon. The most embarrassing event in the history of our country and is destroying America with, all caps, the Green News scam. Yeah. Well, it's just insanity because if you look at all these Democrat politicians and all these people that were that were in the, the media spotlight when all the shit was going down, when all these people were like showing up and being violent and 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 attacking people and showing up at people's houses they were encouraging them they they said we need to keep doing this we need to keep the pressure on them we need to do more of this 
Like there's people that literally condoned what was happening. And if, if Donald Trump had done any of that in relation to the insurrection, I like it. Then perhaps maybe. But when he says go out and protest peacefully and then please go home, you know, I'm paraphrasing. It doesn't sound anything like what the left was doing the entire time, which was encouraging and basically aiding and abetting by bailing people out and and having the no bail shit. Oh, and cities burning to the ground? Yeah. I don't know, man. Like somebody stole a podium, broke a couple windows. Shit on Mitch McConnell's desk. I mean, that's I'd high five that guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's probably some sort of crime, but whatever. Yeah. Matt Gates was uh he threw out a post the other day and he was citing a portion of the brief. Did they ever find Pelosi's laptop? Who knows? They rounded up a couple grandmas and harassed some families over it, though. It's probably just a bunch of coupons for fucking denture cream on there. Here's Gates on X, formerly Twitter. Here's the part of the brief that he cited. President Trump threatened to deploy the military to Minneapolis to shoot looters and amid the protests over the police killing of George Floyd. That's how insurrectionist-y Donald Trump has been. These activist judges in Colorado at the Supreme Court level cited in their majority opinion that President Trump's idea to deploy the military nationwide against the riots in 2020 is proof that he is an insurrectionist. Meanwhile, the radical left burned down cities and killed civilians in the name of George Floyd. Yeah. Talk about election interference. The big thing everybody was waiting for, especially on social media, was who and how fast people from both sides of the aisle would weigh in. We're going to stick on the Republican side right now. 2024 GOP Republican primary candidate. Mm-hmm. Vivek Ramaswamy. Okay, no, he's he's coming out strong on this. Was first. Let's hear it. They have just tried to bar President Trump from the Colorado ballot using an unconstitutional maneuver that is a bastardization mm. of the 14th Amendment to our U.S. Constitution. This was a provision, Section 3, that was designed to bar Confederate members, people who switched to the Confederacy, from actually being able to serve. That's very different than what's at issue here, to say the least. This is a hollowed-out husk of what the country was built on. The basic principle that we, the people, select our leadership, not the unelected elite class Mm -hmm. in the back of palace halls. That's old world Europe, not the United States. That's why I'm making a pledge today that I will withdraw, I pledge to withdraw from the Colorado GOP primary ballot unless and until Trump's name is restored. And I demand that Ron DeSantis and Chris Christie and Nikki Haley do the same thing Mm. or else these Republicans are simply complicit in this unconstitutional attack on the way we conduct our constitutional republic. What do you think? Yeah. Strong. Strong. And quick. I mean. Strong like bull. Within an hour. Of the opinion being released to the public. Well, and didn't he uh, encourage everybody else to to do the same? Which is really going to make old uh, Healy McSantis look bad because he's definitely not going to back down. Bad news for Big Ron today. The one time he doesn't back down. I know you haven't heard it because it's early here on the West Coast on Friday, but Ron DeSantis' super PAC, always back down, Mm -hmm. has pulled all ads in the states of Iowa and New Hampshire, the first two primaries, for the entirety of 2024. Wait, what? Mm. Why? Sounds like they're backing down to me. <laughs> I love it. I'll allow it. Yeah, what are you going to do? Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, please make sure to hit the follow button or the little plus sign. 
And make sure Steak for Breakfast is downloading to your electronic device. In addition, we have social medias on Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find our accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bell. Remember, you're getting four all-new editions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast from here on out. And the only way that you can support us, since we don't ask for anything, including money, is to follow the free podcast. Jumping back into it here, Golden Corral enthusiast, Mm. the official spokesman for the Coney Island hot dog eating contest. Donald Trump says, wearer of many belts because they break. I actually broke a belt recently. Really? Yeah. I'm sure it got caught on something. In- no, it was uh, it was one of those like thick webbing, like tactical belts. Okay. And it was from a what I thought was a reputable company. And they were, they were actually very quick to refund my uh, money and give me credit to buy a new one. But it like the little pin that it was like one of those ratchet ones, mm-hmm. you know? The pin came out. Interesting. I was like, man, I'm like, what if this would have happened like when it mattered? Mm. So needless to say, maybe I'll buy another one. I don't know. Maybe you won't. You know who's in the market for one, though, always. But I'm definitely not, you know, as girthy as uh, Chris Christie. I'm only about 220. Let's hear the big fella out in New Hampshire. Well, this came out about, you know, let's say we've been here about 20 minutes, so half an hour ago. It's a 213-page opinion. It came out while I was in the car. <laughs> in the drive-thru i started to try to read it but i was um, eating didn't get very far got some mustard but let me it. just say so i can't comment on the opinion itself but the burger was delicious first. but what i will say is this i, I do I'm not hungry. believe donald trump should be prevented from being president of the united states by any court hmm. i think he should be prevented from being president of the united states by the voters of this country that's what i think okay i'm fine with and that I, and and, and I don't, more. And, and I don't believe that it's good for our country if he's precluded from the ballot um, by a court. Yeah, I think it's bad for the country if that happens. It's now, like Mike making me leave the early from I believe Golden Corral. It's because you know he will have had to incite insurrection, be a part of an insurrection, for him to be excluded. There's been no trial of him on that. And while I have very strong feelings about that, as you know. I also have very strong feelings to the fact that people in this country like ranch um, dressing. Deserve to have- mm. What do you think? He's useless, but I mean, yeah, if if you want to make the point that the voters should decide, that's the whole basis for our fucking country. And yes, the voters should fucking decide. And if if you pull somebody off and the candidate that we know is going to be the the nominee for the Republican Party, like there's no fucking way any of these other asshats are going to get it. No. They're not. And there's literally not an election. I've got some breaking news, though. Oh, what do you got? Jack Smith's bad week. Just, Just got worse? Mm-hmm. How? Breaking news from Capitol Hill. Jack Smith's request for expedited consideration of Donald Trump's immunity appeal, which he wanted to happen before March 4th, again, preventing him from participating in Super Tuesday, has been denied by the Supreme Court. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. I know. I'm jiggling. So what does that mean exactly, like, for for his entire thing that he's got going on? Well, Donald Trump's going to get his due process, and it's going to go through the correct, elongated legal avenues instead of expedition so they can have a ruling on this before we get into the general election cycle, which at this point, it doesn't look like we will. But that doesn't put him in danger of not being on the ballot in certain places. Uh, well, one place for now, but I mean, I'm, I'm assuming some of these other fucking blue states are going to follow suit. No, but it, what it does is it allows him to be on the ballot and participate in the primary season 
instead of having to go to court oh, so it, every it, single time there's a big primary. It invalidates his his weird little scenario that he was potentially in then. Okay, I understand. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, we've heard from Vivek, and we've heard from the rotund one, Chris Christie. <laughs> you know, if he ever went out on the rotunda, mm. it would probably collapse. True story. Which is ironic. We're not going to hear from Nikki Haley. We just don't give her any credit on the show, especially with her inflated poll numbers that are happening right now so they could finish off Ron DeSantis. Speaking of which, we got to check out the high heel meatball. Mm. You'll never guess, Noah. There's nobody has come forward and said that they built the lifts for him. Instead of supporting the former president and man who endorsed him into his current spot as governor of Florida, even though he hasn't lived there for 10 months. The only reason he made it. He decided to cry about Donald Trump getting removed from the ballot in Colorado and said it's hurting his primary campaign. Let's check it out. U.S. Supreme Court is going to reverse that. But but here's the larger thing of what the left and the media and the hey, Democrats are doing. Out of this. They're doing all this stuff to basically solidify support in the primary for him, <laughs> get him into the general, and the whole general election is going to be all this legal stuff. And, look, it's unfair. Uh, they're abusing power 100%. But the question is, is that going to work? Um, and I think they have a playbook that unfortunately will work, uh, and it'll give Biden or the Democrat or whoever the ability uh, to skate through this thing. That's their plan. That's what they want. What they don't want is to have somebody like me who will make the election not about all those other issues, but will make the election about the failures of Biden, the failures of the left, and how we're going to be able to turn the country. No, it's still about that, even if it's not you, dum-dum. Well, we'll hear Donald Trump hammer Joe Biden. What are your thoughts on on that commentary? On fucking scumbag Ron? Because that's yeah. what I've been calling him in every single comment. Dude, that, this guy is the biggest vagina in the history of modern politics. Vagina. I, for reals. It, it's an embarrassment. You know, he's been going on the news. The governor of Oklahoma, who Donald Trump endorsed into his office as well, and is now a never-Trumper, has been with Ron DeSantis all week. Chinless Chip Roy has been mm. with him all week. Yep. And it's like... Thomas Massey has been with them all week. These guys are just, they're like the garbage. Yeah. They're, they're like the version of the beat up moms that hang out at the dive bars. Like she used to be something in high school and now they just want a little attention. Ooh, now they're wearing uh, leggings that are opaque and the Ron DeSantis pool. Yeah. Online team <laughs> smoking Marlboro Reds. Yeah. Has just gone completely deranged. All they do is like completely just hateful, dirty, nasty stuff everywhere yeah and it, it, listen every time i see something from a desantis team member i just quote the tweet and i said these mfers aren't going to stop until this guy's below five percent yeah they did it to themselves i hope they enjoy the abyss of irrelevance and whenever one of them wants to come back and comment at me i said listen you're entitled to your opinion but here's the deal in less than five weeks you're going to be looking for a new job and taking those hashtags off your Twitter account. So enjoy whatever it is you think you're doing. But this is this has been an absolute disaster and an embarrassment. Donald Trump, from a speaking event, as this news was breaking while he was in Waterloo, Iowa, not having his last stand, but getting ready for the battle ahead, had a little bit to say about what's going on here. Let's check it out. Biden and the far-left lunatics are desperate to stop us by any means necessary there willing to violate the U.S. constitutions at levels never seen before in order to win this election. Joe Biden is a threat to democracy. It's a threat. 
They're weaponizing law enforcement for high-level election interference because we're beating them so badly in the poll. True story. Yep. And here's the thing. It's one of those days where we're heading into a break right now. You know, we're getting ready for the Christmas time here in America. We do say Merry Christmas here on Steak for Breakfast. Yep. Donald Trump is doing one of those days where it's like a video-a-thon again. <laughs> I'm looking through the video clips as we're doing the show right now, and all I see in my notifications, it, like, comes down. It's, like, all caps, green new hoax. <laughs> but he also issued one of his biggest heaters. And as we're getting ready to jump in with New York Young Republican Club President Gavin Wax, I think I want to play one of my all-time favorite hood bangers. Where's Hunter? <laughs> I like it. It goes out through the official Trump account on all social media <laughs> platforms. So good. It's like they're talking about Obamacare is a disaster, the green new hoax, like uh, the assault on Christians will end when Donald Trump's back in the White House. We say Merry Christmas here in America first. And then I see like the one drop. and It's just like all caps. Where's Hunter? I was like, we got to play it on the show. Yep. Listen, we've had a lot of uh, Trump aligned people on the show this week. Christina Bob. Cash Patel, they definitely reassured us that the big guy's doing good. We always talk to the congressmen and women who are out there stumping with them on the road as well. They say the same thing. And here's the deal. You don't have to worry about President Trump. Do yourself a favor and pray for him because he's going through a lot of shit right now. But if there's anybody that's fit to handle this battle, it's definitely the 45th president of the United States as he's looking to retake the White House back again next year. Guys, we're going to be jumping in with Gavin Wax right now. But before we do, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, this Big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's the 76th president of the New York Young Republican Club. <coughs> and the executive director at the NCLU, welcoming back one of our great friends, Mr. Gavin Wax. Thanks for joining us today. Always great to be on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you for having me. Always an honor and a pleasure to hold you uh, for a couple minutes, sir. Well, I have to start off just with a big round of congratulations. You guys had the 111th gala recently, and man, what a night to remember for America First. Not only was Anyone who was everyone in the movement there, you had the crown jewel of the movement, our leader, Donald Trump, as the big speaker, and uh, what an absolutely fantastic event, Gavin. Can you tell our listenership just a, just a little bird's eye view on just how big and how important of an event that was? Absolutely. Uh, the New York Young Republican Club's 111th annual gala uh, definitely uh, hit some benchmarks this year, to put it mildly. Uh, we were at Cipriani Wall Street, which was the largest a uh, freestanding ballroom, I think, in the country. Uh, beautiful, ornate columns. Building was built in the 1850. Looks like a European palace. Uh, we had the place decked out to the nines. The light show, our logo, you name it. It was a full-on production, and we had about uh, a thousand, a little over a thousand people seated uh, for a four-course black tie dinner. 
uh, cocktail reception, uh, you, you, you name it. We were there for almost six hours. Uh, it was best described, I think, as a black tie rally. Uh, that's really what it was. Everyone was dressed in their uh, in their Sunday best, uh, even though this was technically a Saturday going into Sunday. But I'll leave those details uh, for other people to figure out. But it was uh, it was a grand old time. We had amazing music. We had a uh, a world class violinist there, uh, aptly named Mr. Maga. He sold out Carnegie Hall before, so we had Mr. Maga playing. Uh, we had Senator Roger Marshall from Kansas. We had. Uh, Representative Matt Gates from Florida, and of course the big man himself, uh, our 45th, 46th, and 47th president, uh, President Donald J. Trump, joined us not just for a speech, but he also joined us uh, to sit down to eat and uh, you know drink some diet coke. So it was uh, it was a grand old time uh, and uh, a star-studded crowd, like you said. You know the Steve Bannons of the world. Uh, we had Representative Corey Mills. I know he's a regular on the show. Correct. Uh, we had Boris Epstein. Tons of people. Uh, Alina Haba, Raheem Kassam, uh, Jack Posobiec, Rudy Giuliani, Andrew Giuliani. You name it. The list goes on. Uh, so it was a grand old time, and uh, I think next year we're uh, we're going to have to get Jesus Christ himself to top it. You know, it's so close to Christmas, he might uh, be able to have a little time to squeeze in there and come <laughs> and join you guys for, uh, I mean, the four-course meal is, uh, he could always turn it into an eight, and then you don't have to worry about getting <laughs> wine either. But here's the thing, and we pointed out on the show so often, anytime any of you guys come on, but but just dealing with any of the other young Republican clubs or just the movement in general, the youth movement inside of MAGA is is a component that I don't think we weaponized hard enough in the last two election cycles. And now it seems like you guys are legitimately at the forefront of it. You have Donald Trump coming, uh, you know, as a guest at one of your guys' events. It's obviously, in addition to him, you know, doing what he's doing out on the campaign trail, he's paying homage to the hard work and dedication that you guys have to helping him get reelected next year. And the fact of the matter is, you can't just brush that off. I want you to tell our listenership right now, not just in the Young Republican Club movement, but even outside of that, the age demographic there, it seems like there's more involvement from young people in Donald Trump's campaign, not only in anybody else in the fake primary and obviously on Joe Biden's side, but just in general, like more than ever has been involved before. Do you, do you, do you think that's going to be something that adds a, a big component to the election cycle next year? Oh, absolutely. I think there's a lot of energy, a lot of youthful energy on the side of MAGA, on the side of uh, President Donald J. Trump, from his staff to his supporters to his online influencers. I mean, you know, I've seen polls that have come out recently showing him winning. Uh, you know, historically, a lot of these this this younger demographic, this young voting block, something that's always been sort of uh, out of reach for most standard Republicans. And listen, I think young people have the most at stake in this election. Their futures are on the line. You know, they, they're a lost generation. You know, the millennials and the Zoomers, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, economic, uh, you know, uh, stagnation that we have never seen before in this country. Uh, you know, an inability to get a home, inability to start a business, inability to build up savings, to have the kind of life and the kind of, uh, you know, perks that their parents and grandparents always had. Uh, you know, the American dream is seemingly out of reach for them. And, uh, you know, they understand uh, some of the reasons why. And it really goes back to the left wing uh, establishment that runs, you know, all the major institutions of this country from academia to the media to corporate America. And they see President Trump and his Make America Great Again agenda as really the only political vehicle that exists right now 
to give them a voice, to bring them back, uh, you know, into some sort of position where they can really progress in life uh, and, you know, achieve the American dream. And also, of course, they've seen the excesses of the radical left. They've seen their insane cultural and social agenda, you know, shoved down their throats at every opportunity, and they're sick of it. So I think there's a realignment. I think there's a realignment in this country uh, with the American youth that's kind of aligning itself with how European youth has been. You know, yes. the European youth movement has really been on the right of, of things politically uh, in France and in, in Italy and Germany, wherever they've all really already generally been on the right. And I think now the United States is moving that direction. I think people have, uh, you know, really seen, uh, you know, everything that Joe Biden has had to offer and they want none of it. They want no more of it. So uh, it's a good time. Uh, to be a young Republican is a good time to be a young conservative. Uh, there's change in the air, and we just have to seize the seize the moment and uh, keep pushing forward. No, yeah, I think you're correct on that assertion. And then when you just look at the how well we receive the rebirth of populism is in this country and the, the way Donald Trump has framed it as part of his agenda, both in 45, now looking to be 47 as well. It's just it's it's bringing in people that we haven't ever had in this movement before and i think it's only just padding our numbers heading into the you know general election season next year gavin we just got done talking about you know the stuff that's going on in colorado kind of trying to set the precedent for what might happen you obviously seen some noise out of california this week there was michigan which recently got shot down but when you see these awful attempts and piggybacked off the failed biden agenda you know, it, it seems like Donald Trump, every time you think they're out of slings or arrows for this guy to take, they find some new angle. I mean, this is obviously getting shot down at the Supreme Court. But for the precedent that they're looking to set here in the country with, you know, pr essentially canceling your political opponent, literally, not just metaphorically, what, what are we talking about here when it comes to our elections? Well, listen, I'll, I'll start off by saying I smell fear. Uh, they're definitely scared. Uh, they wouldn't be going through these types of, uh, you know, desperate measures if they didn't realize their back was against the wall and that the Trump movement and President Trump himself is ascendant. Uh, so I think that speaks volumes about the political landscape. And I think recognizing that is always a good uh, first step. But listen, I think the precedent they're trying to set uh, is a horrible one. I mean, they're basically trying to completely eradicate the last vestiges of our republic and have, uh, you know, these these radical activist left wing judges uh, ruled by fiat. I mean, I said this before, but there was a reason that the, the judicial branch was always intended to be the weakest of the three branches of government by our founders. Uh, but there's been sort of a silent revolution over the over the decades, over the generations where these uh, these judges have uh, uh, usurped more and more power for themselves and uh they they basically just get to rule by uh by their own decree and uh you know we're seeing a lot of showmanship we're seeing a lot of uh you know theatrics from them when you get these certain lawyers that file these ridiculous uh these ridiculous uh you know lawsuits in order to get attention in order to get accolades from their left-wing compatriots and then you see you know similarly uh, you know, like-minded left-wing judges, you know, take up these these cases and and rule with with a ridiculous sort of uh, you know kind of uh, philosophy on them. Also, to get accolades from certain segments of the population, it's all basically just feeding itself. It's kind of like this ridiculous circle jerk in a way, uh, but it's still very dangerous. It just shows how run uh, and corrupt our institutions have become, uh, how pathetic. 
uh, you know, our country has become and, and, and the world is laughing at us. Our own, our own people are laughing at this whole system, not not in a good way, but in a very bad, sad way. It's a sad day for our country. I, like you, have the mindset that this will ultimately be overturned. It won't be allowed to stand. Uh, I'm also happy that it's happening, not necessarily in swing states, but in deep blue states. You know, California, Colorado, these are not places that are necessarily uh, going to be on the map for 2024. Uh, a state like Michigan was was far more concerning, but I'm glad that uh, was uh, was ruled in our favor. But listen, this just goes to show we have a big fight ahead of us, and people need to recognize what time it is and if they're going to step up to the plate or not. And I think President Donald Trump is prepared to step up to the plate. I can't say the same for the rest of the Republican field. Yeah, the fake primary field is what you're referring to. Gavin, I think we're going to leave it at that. We're obviously going to be live linking everything in the show description today, a link to the club. As always, we're going to be also live linking your newest book, which recently came out. We talked about it last time you were on with us. But for anyone that wants to check you out and follow you on social media, where can they find you? Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me again. You can follow me on X, Facebook, Instagram, all the rest at Gavin Wax. You can follow the New York Young Republican Club, the oldest and largest uh, Republican club in the country at NYYRC and check out my book. It's available where all books are sold. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, you name it. The emerging populist majority get a pre-order uh, in right now. Uh, those will hit shelves January 23rd and uh, wishing you and all your listeners uh, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. No, the same to you, my friend. This guy's at the tip of the spear of the America First movement. He's the president of the New York Young Republican Club. He's also the executive director of the National Constitutional Law Union. Mr. Gavin Wax, thanks for joining us today, and have a very Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I had a chance this morning to speak by phone with President Lopez Obrador of Mexico. The two leaders agreed that Additional enforcement actions are urgently needed so that key ports of entry can be reopened across our shared border. The White House announced a moment ago Secretary of State Antony Blinken and DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas will be heading to Mexico in the coming days to address the crisis at the border. As Border Patrol sources tell Fox News, they are on pace for more than 300,000 migrant encounters. Well, mm-hmm. Apparently, Alejandro Mayorkas is going to fly over the U.S. southern border and head down to Mexico City to go complain to the Mexican president. Why are you letting all these people travel through your country, traverse through your country and up to the U.S. southern border when he's going to say, hey, come on. We all know this is cartel country down here. Uh, I'm just wondering why you're uh, doing all these things that 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 are that are making me look bad, even though I I, I do enjoy that it's happening. It's hurting my um. The data. It's hurting the data and my feelings. <laughs> I'm just worried that I'm actually going to get in trouble eventually if Trump gets in office. Mm. That guy belongs in a fucking dungeon. I'm telling you, bring back tarring and feathering. I would vote for it. I, like I think it. everyone would vote for it. You know, talking about the U.S. southern borders, we're going to touch on it right here. I saw a funny one that we have to include in here, our big pre-Christmas edition of the show today. So Stephen Miller, who was a hawk on border policy in the first Trump administration. He was on with Jesse Waters the other day, and they were, you know, obviously talking about the fallout from the Colorado ruling, which we're going to touch on in our next episode of the show coming up right after this one today. But they were also talking about, you know, big Tom Holman's looking to get the biggest deportation operation in the history of the galaxy. Yes. When Donald Trump wins the White House next year and appoints him to run either DHS or whatever major agency he wants. But Stephen Miller, he's not just a thinker. He's also trying to become a doer in a second Trump administration. Noah, I don't know if you 
think you know where I'm going, but I think you're going to like this. Let's check it out. I'm I'm hearing that Stephen Miller's getting his pilot's license next month, and he's going to be personally (laughs) deporting these people, plane load after plane load. Is that true, Miller? Don't get me excited, Jesse. Look, the <laughs> That's how you want to spend your retirement, right? <laughs> yes. I, spend, I, I would spend my Christmas holiday doing that if I could, Jesse. I think that- Wow. You got, hey, listen, all hands on deck. You got to love it. What I didn't love and, and what we haven't had on the show here for a while now was Noah's least favorite mm. White House press secretary, Green Jean Pierre. I hate her. Hey, listen. There's a lot of people who are concerned that by the end of this week and this week alone, over 50,000 illegal migrants would have crossed the U.S. southern border and are being transported to the interior of the United States. There's also some who might be a little bit more concerned that since October, 300,000 migrants have come in. And we're now well over the 10 million mark with more than 2 million getaways. 2 million million However, wow! in her last White House press conference of the year, KJP, she doesn't necessarily think anything's wrong or that what's going on the U.S. southern border is even that unusual. Perfect. Let's check it out. Um, uh, you know, is important is the message that we have to send to, s- to smugglers, right? We have to be be very, very mindful because they also put out misinformation. So we try to be uh, mindful there as well. And what we're seeing here at the border, the migration flow, uh, increased migration flow, certainly uh, it, you know, it, it ebbs migration. and flows. And we're at a time of the year where we're seeing more uh, at the border. And it's not unusual. This is an immigration system that has been broken for decades. Uh, And the the president has taken this very seriously to try to do more. That's why we have the comprehensive immigration policy legislation that the president put forth on day one. So yes, there is more to be done, but we need the help of Congress to get that done. There's nothing the president can do himself unilaterally. I mean, look, we asked for more border patrol, right? And he was able to get 24,000 more border patrol folks, uh, law enforcement folks at the border. That's unprecedented. We asked for more. And you got uh, Republicans uh, in Congress who, especially in the House, who want to cut that. They actually want to do the opposite of what the president is trying to do. And so, look, the president has done everything that he can, right, uh, on on his own. There's, there's clearly diplomatic conversation happening with AMLO and other folks, uh, other leaders in the region. We're going to continue to have those conversations just to make sure that we, uh, we deal with the flow. But we also need funding. We also need funding to deal with the border security, which is what we're trying to do right now with these negotiations that are happening uh, with the Senate, with senators, right? Mm. Nothing unusual, Noah. Yeah, no. Everything's fine. Nothing to see here. Mm. We're just going to go back to the old, uh, this immigration system has been broken forever. Yeah, because assholes like you keep getting your fucking sticky fingers into it and making it worse. All we would have to do is just enforce the rules that are already on the books. If you commit fraud during the the commission of your asylum request, null and void. Goodbye. Right? Seems simple enough. Yeah. I mean, if you I'm, if you come in and present yourself anywhere other than a port of entry, null and void. Well, they Problem have, solved. They have a, two or three ports of entries closed for weeks now that are just migrant encampments. Lukeville one in Tucson. It's just a nightmare. And Homan had, had literally said that the the weight in Mexico thing was r- literally the reason why that we were getting less people because 
it wasn't just a free for all. Like if you have people that are already coming and their plan B is to request asylum, but mm-hmm. their plan A is to be a Godaway. Mm-hmm. I was like, you think this person's ever going to show up to a court date? Like, oh, you know, I've I've made the I've made the correlation where you go to Walmart and you steal something, and then you get caught at the door, and you're like, no, no, I was on my I was going to come back tomorrow and pay for it. It's like, no, that's not how it works. You should have seen some of this shit that's been going on this week, Noah. So. Some conservative influencers that were either traveling back from Amfest or to holiday-related destinations mm-hmm. ran into all the migrants who were filling up the airports and flying all over the country. The boarding passes that they're getting are marked no name. That's what their names are, no name. They don't have to go through TSA. Well, it probably saves a lot of time for the agents that are doing the processing. And... They were showing some of these people who were interviewing them at the airports that they had notices to appear in court for their asylum hearings. Oh, 2030 or something? 2031 and 2032. An immigration lawyer who's a progressive lefty said this is the biggest joke he's ever seen in his entire life. It's the biggest joke I've ever seen in my entire life, yeah. And this is an immigration lawyer that is left-leaning, right-leaning? No, this is a progressive one. This yeah, progressive. Is the one that that's, what I'm, that's what I'm. That's what I'm uh, specifying yeah. for the viewing public here, mm. listening audi- public, audioing public. Yeah. I like it. Well, speaking of people that don't really understand their jobs, mm. Mayor Pete was out stumping by Nomics the other day, and instead of saying the word, which they don't say anymore, they're calling it something different right now. I think you're going to like this one. Let's check it out. Now I want to zoom out and talk a little bit about the last three years because I think it bears repeating that when President Biden took office about three years ago, the biggest concern at the time around the nation's airlines was whether they would be able to stay in business. And at the time, we were thinking about how many years or decades it would take for the U.S. aviation sector to recover. Instead, what happened was that the entire economy, including the aviation sector, recovered swiftly during the Biden economic recovery, which, of course, included demand coming back faster than most forecasters had thought possible. How do you feel about the Biden economic recovery? Not so good. I paid almost $6 in gas today. Is it up again? Yeah. What the fuck? I didn't fill up. Oh, man. 573 over by my house. There's no way it's like that everywhere. I mean, I live like 14 miles away from the freeway. We're inland. I know, but you're by the border and by the freeway. It's like a twofer. Mm. Not that close to the border. It's like 10 miles away. That's pretty fucking close. Yeah, if you live in El Paso, but not in San Diego. That's walking distance these days. (laughs) That's true. Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, whatever platform it's on, hopefully Apple and Spotify, please follow the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Helps us out huge. Massages the algorithms. Presents us and suggestions for political podcasts and helps us out in the Apple Top 100. Hit the follow button, hit the plus button, make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. And then on social media, we've got accounts on Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bell. We're going to be sitting down with GOP strategists and one of the absolute best House staffers on Chairwoman Stefanik's team, Alex DeGrasse, in just a bit. We've got a little bit more, though. We're going to circle back to the White House press pool. You know, we, we've seen some epic back and forths this year, Noah, right? Yeah. We've seen KJP just get up and essentially just walk out of the... She's like, hey, listen, if you're going to continue to ask these questions, I'm just going to leave. All right, see you guys later. Fuck off. 
Actually, one of the reporters yesterday tried to take her to task. We've heard that the border is fine. We're using diplomatic solutions to solve the problems there. We've also heard that nothing unusual is going on down at the border. The entire economy has recovered faster than anyone could ever imagine, according to the Biden administration. And when you're just spewing these talking points from the press pool podium, at some point, someone with a shred of journalistic integrity is going to say, bullshit. Yeah. One reporter did. Let's see the back and forth. Traditionally, uh, the president uh, will hold a hearing press conference and talk about his record, make the case to the director of the American people defend uh, some of the policy actions taken. The president, as Secretary first, uh, doesn't seem to view that this year. Can you explain why he doesn't want to defend his record to the American people and make this case for his record to the American people? Well, I think that any time the president travels and is in front of the American people, he does that. He did that in Wisconsin when he talked about Binomics. He talked <laughs> about small businesses and how that's a pillar of Binomics and investing in America. A pillar. So you heard him do that directly to the American people. Look, he does every... He, we... We make an effort the royal uh, to we. do a press yeah. conference as often as possible, whether it's here at home or uh, abroad. As you know, he held a he held a two plus two with President Zelensky, which I think Wait. was an incredibly powerful. He just important, did, she just did gender uh, and math at the same the time. American people to How see what we are doing she? to help okay, the not really gender, she said abroad. fight mm. against tyranny. Uh, what if she meant by abroad uh, the aggression a from Russia? That's and you saw point. him do that right alongside uh, President Zelensky, and so. You know, the president certainly uh, was very engaged with m members. Of, this is a complete non-answer, um, by the way. Of the oh press yeah. Court well, what else does she do? Everything she says is a fucking non-answer. Three times, took questions, uh, made a statement, really important in statement about Venezuela and the hostage situation, and so uh, this is something that uh, we really make an effort to do, uh, and uh, and you know. And we will continue to do that in 2024. Do as many as uh, press conferences as possible abroad and at home. What's the president? Uh, is nothing has public said today. I've got a phone call this morning. I'm just wondering if you can, you know, characterize like you know, why you, know, you can make time on the president's calendar whenever you want. Well, he made time yesterday to talk to the to the press. Yesterday, he did. He talked to them. We made time to make sure that he. Uh, uh, gave a statement about what was happening in Venezuela, the hostage exchange, uh, the swap that you all saw that was um, very successful. He made time to do that. He he stood in front of the the, the press pool in front of me of, in front of him and made that statement and took some questions. He took uh, took a he did uh, two other gaggles yesterday. Gaggles. So he certainly engages with the press, uh, and he'll continue to do that. <laughs> And yesterday, he spoke directly to the American people about Binomics, really showing what Binomics has done, what he's done the last two years. And I think that's important as well for the American people. What do you feel about Binomics over the last two years, Noah? make the effort that's a big to negative. do press conferences uh, here, at home, and abroad as well, just like we did. So the first question was, when, at some point, is Joe Biden going to take responsibility for his administration's record? To which point she was just like, M O E O O. For like a minute 30. Complete non-answers. Then he's like, okay, well, here's the deal. If he's not going to talk to us because he's so busy, he's like, for instance, today he had like a 9 a.m. phone call and then you put a cap on it. Like, why can't he, he's here. Why can't he just come out and, you know, share with us a little bit? And she's like, oh, well, you know, he does. Uh, let's see, what are some words I could put in there? I'll say binomics twice. I'll throw a couple gaggles at you. I'll say a two and two with Zelensky twice like it's a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to lean on the podium like Barack Obama. 
and talk out the side of my mouth, and then we're going to cut it, call it a day, just like Joe Biden did like five hours ago. Absolutely fucking wild. And, you know, it, it goes back to the point of accountability. There is part of the blame that goes on the Republican House for this and, and not being able to rein in this administration. I know they're not going to get any love in the Senate. However, when it comes to the executive branch, the House does hold the purse strings. And I really do hope, as Congresswoman Sparts alluded to, that Mike Johnson drops the hammer. And if Joe Biden won't shut down the border enforce the laws, and make Alejandro Mayorkas adhere to his job that he shuts the government down. That's going to send a very powerful message, but we have to remember what this is all about. In our last audio clip, before we jump in with Alex DeGrasse, and this is going to be a first on Sacred Breakfast. I'm not a huge fan of Benny Johnson, Noah. I know you're not either. He's a notorious meme stealer. He has like people that work for his digital team. Not only does he steal memes, not just picture memes, but the video memes, they remove the watermarks. Oh, that's sketchy. Which is like the worst thing you could do to a meme maker. Period. Because all it does is like you're promoting their art. And I just, I don't know. He's young, but he acts like a boomer. He's just like a glasses wearing version of Charlie Kirk, in my opinion. Whatever. But he had Tim Burchett on. Great friend of the show. Part of the Gates 8. And you're really going to want to listen to this one. No, I know you haven't heard it yet. We always question these voting records. These votes come out and we read these. Oh, these people are supposed to be America first. And look at how they're voting for the NDAA or not to impeach my orcas or to kick George Santos out of Congress. Why? Well, the Tennessee congressman has an idea. Let's hear it. Uh, congressman, you represent the state of Tennessee. Marsha Blackburn has been completely blackballed in the Senate for asking for these flight logs to be released and for this client list to be released. It seems like now you are fighting with her uh, in the House. Why the protection mechanism? And more importantly, um, you mentioned recently in an interview that there may be some members of Congress who are personally compromised by this and they don't want the truth to get out. Can you expound on that? Yeah, 100 percent. You got powerful people and they write the big checks. Mm. Well, let's be honest and powerful people in this country they write the big checks and they, you know, they're the ones out on the tarmac when the president comes and visits and, and whichever party they're in, they always either out on the tarmac or in the private room. They're the ones that write the big checks. They don't care who's in. They hate this country. They hate what we're about, but they love their portfolio. We, we know they all love this. their money more than they do anything else. Wait till where and this one goes, though, Noah. And they protect the people that, that do that. And by doing so, you know, the old honeypot, the Russians do that. And I'm sure members of Congress have been caught up. Why in the world would would good conservatives vote for crazy stuff like the, what we've been seeing out of Congress? It's that works. You're visiting, you're out of the country or out of town or you're in a motel or bar at, in D.C. And some whatever you're you're into women or men or whatever comes up and they're very attractive and they're laughing at your jokes and and they and you're buying them a drink. Next thing you know, you're in the motel room with them naked and next thing you know you know you're about to make a key vote and what happens some well-dressed person comes up and whispers in your ear hey man there's tapes out on you were you in a motel room on whatever with whoever and then you're like "Uh uh-oh and said you really ought not be voting for this thing i mean you know and what do they do it's human nature and um you know no man or no woman actually is an island 
and they know what to get at. You know, if it's women, drugs, booze, it'll find you in D.C. and in most elected offices. And that's what people of power and influence do. And it's just, you know, I've been in this game my whole life. I spent 16 years in the state legislature in Tennessee and eight years as county mayor. And now I'm in my fifth year of Congress. But it, it's just it, it, the stakes are higher, but the, but the game is still the same. The stakes are for breakfast. I'm a huge fan of him. Yeah, solid. His team really liked uh, coming on the show, and, and they're inclined to have him back in the new year. But here's the thing, and we say it so often. The level of people being compromised up on Capitol Hill, like George Santos is just spilling tea on everybody. You know, Noah, there's a new rumor out that there's a second tape of different people banging in the halls of the Senate. It Well, it's it's... It's got to be just this weird little niche thing that they do. Like, this is like their little uh, initiation ritual or some shit. Did you see the meme that's going around from, like, that movie where, like, they're initiating somebody and they, like, walk into, like, I don't know, this big mansion. As soon as he walks in the door, it's, like, wall-to-wall people's just banging. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, any freshman Senate staffer on their first day of work after hours. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just, like... It's ridiculous, man. I mean, I'm glad people are finally starting to pull it out. And I say it all the time on the show. Guys, having the curtain pulled back in the halls of Congress for the first time ever, because just remember, like, 20, 25 years ago, you would never see congressmen, except for, like, the really big names, and they would come out with their perfectly pressed suits and their cleanly shaven faces and their, like, Ken doll hair, and they would tell you, like, what's the issue who's causing it, how they're going to vote on it, and we'll see you in six months. And that was pretty much what Congress was, you know, in between, like, I guess, like, Watergate and then Iran-Contra all the way up through, like, the first Gulf War. Congress was kind of obsolete. You know, there was a a Bill Clinton impeachment, but that's kind of like, you know, it for them. We're talking years, if not decades, between major issues in Congress. Now it's like... You literally can't fart. It's on fucking every single news outlet within seconds. And, and the sad part is... Well, when some of these guys farted, it sounds like... Well, that's the thing. People are doing a lot worse up on Capitol Hill than farting. As much as I don't really enjoy talking about that, we're starting to see it for the first time and how these people act and how these people operate. And it's just sad to see the state of the nation right now and just a weird way the year is coming to a close up on Capitol Hill... But I digress. We're going to get a little insider info on that right now because we're about to jump in with Alex DeGrasse. But before we do that, let's check in with one of our partners. It's an unpleasant truth that 42% of Americans are obese and 79% of Americans are overweight. That's practically one in every two Americans living day to day with every minute counting down to the end of an unhealthy existence. It's time to change that and make Americans healthy again. You've probably heard about weight loss injections that can help you get back into that right mindset and help curb those cravings so you can focus on what's really important. New Hope Wellness has changed thousands of lives and maybe it can change yours too. They are American family owned and operated with the goal of saving lives. With convenient telehealth options, you can speak to a licensed professional from the comfort of your own home, and all products are delivered discreetly to your front door. Visit newhopewellness.com forward slash state and start your journey to a better you. That's newhopewellness.com forward slash state to get your free consultation and 100 bucks off your first order. 1-800-527-2150. Make America healthy again. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak Breakfast Podcast. He's a GOP strategist. He also does some great work up on Capitol Hill as well. Mr. Alex DeGrasse, welcome back to the show. 
Thank you, guys. Pleasure to be here. Happy holiday season to you and yours. Hope everything's going well. It's been uh, some busy times in the news lately. We want to talk to you about some of the uh, biggest current events going on. Uh, starting off with the Republican primary, it seems like uh, Ron DeSantis is all but finished. The dumpster fire is sinking in the middle of a lake. Uh, it's just come across the newswire today that he's canceled essentially all of his ads in places like Iowa and New Hampshire moving forward into the 2024 cycle. And, uh, you know, we see this, and I'm air quoting now, bump for the, one of the other fake primary Republican candidates, Nikki Haley in the polls. We here on the show think it's a strategy by the mainstream media and by some other people in the primary who have influence over the polls to kind of finish off Ron DeSantis and get him out of the way so it could get into more of a two-person race. But but my take is I don't believe Nikki Haley's near 30% in any of these early primary states. Alex, you're one of the experts on uh, you know all things within the Republican Party, and we want to get your take on this right now. Appreciate it. No, I agree with you 100%. And I think it's really important. You look at, there's been two New Hampshire polls, CBS, maybe St. Asylum, although I could be, at least I could be pronouncing that wrong, so I apologize, New Hampshire College. When you look at both of those, some people have gone out there, including some not Trump supporters, that have said, hey, they're looking at Democrats, they're looking at independents, sort of left-leaning independents. I don't know, and they're weighting them too heavily. So I don't believe that those polls are correct, in my opinion. I think certainly... You're seeing the never Trump vote, the anti-Trump vote, I believe, starting to coalesce to an extent around Nikki Haley based off of, you know, Ron DeSantis' implosion, other factors, of course. So this is sort of a natural, to a small extent, sort of um, coalesce around Nikki, of course. But I don't think she's got any juice. I think she's got significant problems. One of the other important facts for your listeners is Prior to, I believe, the super PAC supporting President Trump had come out with the advertisement in the last couple of days, sort of um, exposing Nikki Haley as a liar and a fraud. Nikki Haley had not gotten any negative ads against her in the Boston media market, in the, which covers New Hampshire. And so that's really important because President Trump is under heavy attack from never Trump billionaires and other groups that are intervening in the primary, which to no effect, essentially. And, you know, and there's other candidates spending against each other. And so you had Nikki Haley, who might have seen a small bump, but that's mostly because of the natural coalition of um, never Trumpers and then the fact that she had not been taking any fire. So now that you have her record being exposed, her record of one which has big problems, gas tax, you know, sort of switching on President Trump and not being loyal. And I think her numbers will drop, of course. So that's what I believe. But no, it's interesting sort of how it's going down. I think their problem is you sort of have a lot of distance between all of them and President Trump in Iowa. And so with President Trump winning a resounding victory in Iowa, gathered momentum going into New Hampshire, no presidential candidate has won both of those states, I believe, in modern history. So Correct. if President Trump was able to put them put those put that to bed, roll in the South Carolina, which is very popular. We'll get this thing wrapped up immediately, and we can do the important task of uniting the Republican Party, focusing on election integrity, which is the top issue, I think, in terms of securing this result for President Trump, focusing all of our efforts, whether it's the RNC and, and you know everyone together, House Republicans, we all have to protect the boat, get President Trump in there, expand the margins in the House and flip the Senate. And we can only do that if we all start working together. So that's why it's unfortunate that... You know, there are elements that are sort of delaying the inevitable here, which is the President Trump as the nominee. And I think that's just the there there. You know, once we uh, President Trump segued to the general election about three months ago, I think uh, a lot of people who are understanding the way that this 
entire primary. It's more of a coronation, to be honest with you, has gone down. It's just the, the case. But you, you point out some really big uh, items there, Alex, that I, I think I just need to recover there. Number one is the RNC. They have to be able to get on board. You know, there's reports out this week that they have all-time lows in money, maybe close to $7 million on hand. That's ridiculous heading into a general election season with a candidate who's going to be at the top of the ticket for a third consecutive cycle. For as much attention that Donald Trump draws and for as much of a, a votership that he you know, earned back in 2020, the most ever by a Republican candidate, you'd have to think that there'd be a little bit more enthusiasm. But again, it's those billionaires in the donor class and those lobbyists and special interest groups that are interfering with this campaign right now. I mean, we didn't even decide to uh, take a departing pot shot at Ron DeSantis. I really don't think he's, it's worth it. But, you know, Nikki Haley's going to be the next one to find out the hard way that it's just not anything that, uh, you know, is going to be good for her moving forward, not only just in this primary, but for her political career. She's going to go back to the lobby sector, I think, after this and, uh, you know, kind of just put everything to bed. But heading into this election season, one of the things that, you know, always is the case with Donald Trump, and it's because just the way the system's weaponized against him. Obviously, we see all the lawfare and that's going down, but it was the big ruling out in Colorado this week. Obviously, anyone with half a brain knows this is DOA at the Supreme Court. It just depends on how big of a margin it's going to be by, whether it's 9 or 0 or 7 to 2, depending on how bad, like, the super libs decide to go with this thing. But the fact of the matter is, is this is not helping the case out now. You're taking uh, appellate court judges' opinions. You're making official rulings on them at the state Supreme Court level. And essentially what you're doing is you're you're causing election interference into probably the most important election in the history of our republic. And, and you know, I just want to get a little bit of your commentary on this. How you saw this shake down? Where do you think it's going to go? And if the Supreme Court can get this taken care of quickly, do you think it sets the precedent to have some of these other state-level Supreme Courts back off? Or do you think this is just the beginning? I think that it's one of the most disgraceful things I've ever seen. I think the Democrats, they exposed themselves in the New York Times. They had reported that. I believe the term they used was, you know, that the liberals are relying on the, quote, American institutions to stop Trump, which is another way of saying they seek to rig and steal the election, of course. They're doing this through lawfare. Your listeners understand that. I think that when you speak to voters and certainly minority voters, African-Americans, Hispanics, they understand what's going on more so than maybe anyone else. And I think the weaponization and the lawfare against President Trump will certainly help his campaign, not just in the primary where it's you know helped propel his continued lead, of course, but certainly with the general election, because I think people feel uncomfortable. And I think more and more voters are seeing that what the Democrats accuse us of doing, MAGA, that it's what they're doing. So when they say that we're a threat to democracy, it's really that they're a clear threat to democracy. And I think more and more people understand that. So you look, I'm in New York right now. You've got in New York, they're working to get them off the ballot. I think it's going to be all over the place. They're going to try this. Of course, the Supreme Court, I believe, will rule in our favor pretty easily. Um, Although I'm not a legal expert, but that's what everyone's saying, of course. And I think that it's disgusting when you think of what they're doing. You boil it down. I mean, this is banana republic. It's very dangerous. That's why it's yes. so upsetting to me as a Republican operative of someone that's, you know, I'm in leadership and stuff that we can't all unite right now for the sake of the republic. I mean, it's bigger than Donald Trump, who would be is going to be an amazing president and has been an amazing president. This is about whether they can get away with this. And you, know, you look at someone like Ron DeSantis, some of his nasty comments he's made in regards to this, where he, I saw that he had said one of the big regrets was that this was all happened and it sort of 
affected his primary campaign negatively. I mean, I find that to be a disgusting statement that he's that selfish and out of touch that he's talking about his own campaign to backstab, you know, his political, you know, benefactor who got him in there. And he's talking, that's what he has to say about the arrests and this sort of lawfare and stuff. So that's disgusting, obviously. That's why he's going nowhere. But I think it's going to get really hot. And I think that's why it's so key. Like if you're in Iowa, if you're in New Hampshire, you're in these early states. I mean, the most important thing you could do for your country is get a list, write it down, 10 voters, check in with them, make sure they get out to caucus in Iowa, make sure they get out to vote in New Hampshire, make sure they can get a list of 10 people, put it on paper, check in with them regularly. That's the key for the Republican Party is that type of grassroots engagement. No one's going to come save us. It's going to come to the voters, to the activists, to the grassroots listening to the show to get organized. I mean, that's the key. And to do it in an old fashioned way on the books, on paper, write down your list, family members, wherever they are, anywhere they can be all over the country. Check in with them regularly. Make sure that they're trying to get their people out if they can. And that's how we can swamp the polls. I think it's a simple task, but it's one that's so important, I believe so. No, it's uh, absolutely the case. And, you know, I, I just want to know, you guys are up in New York 21, but here's the deal. You've seen a lot of uh, rumors going around lately, and I think they're starting to get this thing rolling. Do you think at some point between now and Election Day next year, Donald Trump is going to hold a rally somewhere in New York in the five boroughs? Well, um, I had the honor of meeting with President Trump this week, and I think certainly uh, we're very excited about President Trump's popularity and support in New York, I was with my boss, Congresswoman Stefanik, and she had posted a nice photo. And certainly, you know, he said publicly, and we were, uh, I had the honor of sitting with the president at his table at the gala of the New York Young Republicans. And certainly he spoke about targeting New York. And I believe folks are looking at that, looking at the data, certainly the numbers that we've seen President Trump and the public numbers in the Siena polling has him, Siena College, New York Times, He's only down by 10 points in their own polling, and they're notorious for being liberal, bias, and, um, you know, they're essentially a disaster. But they that means he's moved his numbers about 10 to 15 percentage points. Those are the numbers that we're matching in private Republican polls. So when we look at battleground seats, certainly President Trump is outperforming where he stood on the ballot in a total of 15 different polls in maybe five or six different battleground seats. He's up about eight, nine points from where he was. So, you know, to see where he had lost maybe by eight or nine points in 2020, he's, he's running tied on Joe Biden. Um, that's critical for House Republicans as we, you know, in New York, will unite behind President Trump and ride the wave and build a coalition of voters. And that's key. So we feel great in New York. Obviously, they're trying to steal the lines. But no, we would love to have President Trump. Certainly, Elise told him we love to have President Trump in New York, if that's what he wants to do. Certainly upstate New York, he is so popular up here. He's probably in the polling we've seen. He's getting 85% of the vote in the Republican primary. Upstate's Trump country. I know Long Island's Trump country. And certainly New York City. Here's the important stat. Lee Zeldin did great. He's a great candidate. He did a good job. And we love Lee. And he did very well in New York City. Lee Zeldin was building off of President Trump's coalition of voters in 16 and 20. And there's a couple articles that people are interested. You can Google Donald Trump, New York City election. And you could see the numbers he moved. I believe there's six Democrat assembly members that um, Trump won the seat, right? So they're Democrat incumbents and President Trump won in New York City. So with Orthodox Jewish, Russian, Polish voters, Hispanics, certainly, you know, the working class areas in Queens, Whitestone, 
he's got significant support. Staten Island, of course, and with the crime and the issue set and the corruption against President Trump, which does resonate. I mean, people maybe aren't following some of the specifics and backs and forth, but they know Tish Dreams is corrupt, as can be. She's doing nothing to help the citizens of New York, and she's out there sitting there like a disgrace in the courtroom, watching Trump like a total psychopath. Mm. And she's funded by George Soros, the whole thing. I mean, it's such a crooked deal. And people know that. I mean, that's the thing. You talk to voters. They know it's dark. They're organized. I think we're going to see the biggest red wave. But we can't take anything for granted. So certainly in New York, I think it's going to be great if he comes here. If That's what he decides to do. There's going to be a huge amount of support for him. Yeah, we've seen it pick it up. You know, there's been a couple of Fox News and, and Newsmax recently have done, you know, let's just go out on the street and talk to some of the people. And it's like, it seems like the 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 on-the-spot correspondents are like a little shy to talk to people. But then when they start mentioning it, they're like, hell yeah, we want Donald Trump to come here. I was like, all right, let's go. Last thing I want to touch with you on, Alex, you know, I know you're in congressional staff leadership. Obviously, you work for Chairman, Chairwoman Stefanik. Huge role moving into this uh, post-holiday break agenda in the Republican House. I mean, there's a lot of people that are giving it a, you know, kind of a bad grade as far as one of the least inactive. I mean, it's a vote-based system, first of all, where the Senate is controlled by Democrats. Joe Biden's obviously kind of the president. When you look at the, you know, way the speakership has gone down, Mike Johnson kind of hit the ground running. Uh, he had a couple ups and downs, but I think he ended on a high note heading into the Christmas break. You know, he did go on Fox and Friends two weeks ago and say, if Joe Biden won't secure the border by the time the CR is over, the Republican House is uh, closed for business. So, you know, in between all that, you've got what to do with Alejandro Mayorkas, what to do with the Joe Biden impeachment inquiry, three appropriations bills left, et cetera. Just heading into the uh, you know first of the year and, and getting back to work that first week of January, what are House Republicans looking to do to make sure we could still have a memorable session for the 118th? Sure, I think Speaker Johnson's done a great job. I think when you look at the January 6th tapes, I think when you look at these negotiations on the border, I mean, the, the listeners understand we've got a very tight majority. Now only three. Speaker McCarthy is leaving, Bill Johnson, it's going to be like a one-seat majority, mm-hmm. and we'll refill those seats, hopefully we'll win the special election in New York 3 uh, on February 13th. But let's take a step back. The Senate Republicans, Joe Biden, House Democrats, Senate Democrats, they all were trying to jam through Ukraine and other things, right? And Speaker Johnson, to his credit, said, no, 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 we're not going to touch this. We need specifics. We need this now. We need the border secured now. And he held the line for months. And I think he deserves credit since the moment he got in there. Now you're seeing the conversation change, which is a really big deal. You've got this quote unquote negotiation on the border, although I don't know how legitimate that is in the Senate for those paying close attention. Uh, that's because of Johnson and House Speaker Johnson and House Republicans leadership. It's sort of forcing the issue. So I think in the short term, we're looking at the border and Speaker Johnson you know, has been going out there aggressively, pushing the border, writing to Joe Biden, holding the line. I think that's a top issue with voters. So securing the border, obviously the spending bills, um, FISA reform is important. A lot of people talking about that online on the NDAA. Certainly House Republicans, you know, they put forward reforms that will be voted on the next three months to prevent what happened to President Trump. Uh, It happened again. So I think a lot of people looking at the NDA thing, but there's still differences being worked out on the specifics on FISA reform. So that's something into the spring that will be coming out as well as um, the spending packages, of course, border security. I think, you know, Israel aid um, is important, I think, to people. And that will kind of be looked at holistically. And I mean, I think we would love to do a deal. I mean, the House Republicans passed the strongest border package in U.S. history. It would be great if Chuck Schumer took that up or even considered, and I'm sure everyone would love to talk about that, but they won't because they've got, you know, massive issues and they're controlled by the far left. I think you're going to see 
some anti-Semitism uh, language and different things, and it's anti-Semitism is disgusting, but we understand that it's more than just that specifically. You look at the DEI, you look at the racism at school colleges um, by these liberals, and that's sort of the crux of it. So I think there's a lot of people looking at, you know, tax status of colleges, investigations on the federal funding into Harvard, other places where, you know, for some reason, the Harvard president can plagiarize, admittedly, essentially, and students are kicked out. I mean, that's, you know, people, are, they're going to get sued. Yeah, so, of course. you know, they, they've opened themselves up to massive liability. And I think the federal government's going to look at that because, Many people, and I think you would maybe agree, the crux of many of our problems is our education system, and that is what needs to be handled from K to 12 as well as colleges. You look at what they're teaching kids. Um, you look at the news that uh, 30% of young people don't believe the Holocaust happened. And, I mean, that's really disturbing. I'm a Catholic, but when you look at our Jewish friends and what's happening in the country, it's a really, 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 really serious issue, especially here in New York. And so I think it's going really bad for the Democrats. And we are seeing, certainly after my boss's uh, efforts, we're in conversations with you know very prominent Democrats that are coming over to our side on this issue, whether that be supporting President Trump, because he has an amazing record on Title VI, on the anti-Semitism, on equal rights for Jewish students and protecting them. Those executive orders that now Joe Biden is using to go after and investigate some of these colleges for civil rights issues. So I think it's kind of interesting how that's all going down and not being talked about in the media because it makes Republicans maybe look like we're doing the right thing. So It's funny how that works. And, and, you know, I do want to point out, obviously we covered it on the show in real time when it was happening, but Chairwoman Stefanik actually rained fire down on those radical, progressive, lefty, communist, Marxist university heads a couple weeks ago. And, and, and you want to know what? There was no grandstanding there. That was 100% real, as real as it gets. And these people, for the way they just walk away, ha- thinking they have no accountability. I mean, obviously, one kind of got fired. They got their walking papers. But just how the other two have just kind of like threw it back in the face of just the disgustingness and the level of anti-Semitism, how it's risen in this country and is, you know, infecting every street in America right now. It's good to see someone in the House Republican leadership stand up like she did and hold these losers to account. So, Alex, we're going to be live linking anything you got in the show description today. Tell us where we can find you on social media as well. I'm on Twitter at Degrassi81. I think Truth and Getter at Degrass. I really appreciate it. We thank you guys so much for your do with the show. It's, you guys are doing a great job. I know we got to get Elise on here. Uh, we've been trying to work through all the media requests, but we appreciate everything you guys have done to educate. And, um, you know, you're really well read on all the house stuff. So that's impressive. <laughs> hey, listen, all the specifics. If you guys ever need a substitute teacher, I'm more than inclined to, uh, take a trip over and, uh, stand in for a couple of days. But, uh, in the meantime, we'll be looking to have you back in the new year. We're lining stuff up with speaker Johnson. We'd obviously love to have chairwoman Stefanik join us as well. But Alex, when you come on here, you share so much with our listenership and we just can't appreciate it enough. This is GOP strategist house Republican leadership as well. Mr. Alex DeGrasse, thanks for joining us and have a fantastic Merry Christmas. Yeah. Uh, thank you, brother. Merry Christmas as well. You and all the listeners. Guys, we're coming right back with another all-new edition of Steak for Breakfast. Just sit tight and get ready. Let us change the way you consume your news.